At the very end of chapter 18, Ricky and Lily had dropped some boxes and they thought what had been making noise inside the box was pans inside bubble wrap. But when they checked more carefully, Lily found that inside were some jars. Star jars, I breathe. I peel the bubble wrap off one of them, and the jar inside is small and round, made of dark blue glass with a silver cork stuffed in its mouth. Quickly, I unwrap the others, checking for cracks, but they're okay too. One of them is tall and thin, made of clear glass with a black cork. The other is dark green and square-shaped. Ricky takes a step closer. What's a star jar? Um, nothing, except they aren't nothing. In fact, these might be everything. Hamoni said she took the star stories and stuffed them into jars. The tiger thought those jars were hidden somewhere in the house, and Hamoni was super intense about being careful with the boxes. This is it. These are the precious jars, the dangerous stories. They have to be. This is what the tiger wants. I squint at them, and it might be a trick of the light, but I can almost see something moving inside them, something like smoke or like magic. For one overwhelming moment, I want to uncork the jars and hold them to my ear like seashells so I can hear magic inside, roaring like the ocean. I want so badly to hear these stories. These are my harmonies. I try to keep my voice steady. We can just put these on the side and I'll give them to her later. Ricky shrugs like it's not a big deal, which I guess to him it isn't. They're just jars, regular, normal jars. Totally, I chew my thumbnail and stare at them. Ricky breaks the silence. So, what would you do after you trap the tiger? And then, like he's afraid I won't answer, he adds, In Superman, Doomtrap, Lex Luthor wants to torture him to reveal the secrets of Krypton and also the universe. It's not like that, I interrupt, because that kind of makes me sound like the bad guy. This is real life. This isn't like your comic books, okay? Instantly, I feel guilty for snapping. Ricky has been nice enough to help. It's not his fault he doesn't know the bigger picture. And if he wants to talk about comics or hats or anything, I should just let him. Quieter, I say, this is just different. He pauses and gets really focused on readjusting his camel pants. I'm not getting tutored because I'm stupid. I mean, I'm not stupid. I fiddle with my braids. Yeah, I know. You already said that in the library, and I don't think you are. Lots of people get tutored. I'm just saying, in case you think stuff or hear stuff about me, he lifts his shoulder like he doesn't care, even though he clearly does. I sit on one of the boxes. Hear stuff from who? I don't think I need to point out the obvious. I don't have any friends. 
Yeah, that's true, he says, sitting on the box next to me. I failed language arts last year. Oh, I say. At my school in California, it was super hard to fail a class. Even if you did badly on all the assignments, as long as you put in the bare minimum effort, the teacher would take pity on you and at least let you pass. Maybe the school here is way harder because Ricky doesn't seem like someone who wouldn't try. He's the type of kid who wears head-to-toe camel for a hypothetical tiger hunt. That kind of kid tries. Drumming his fingers against the cardboard, he says, It's not my fault, though. The teacher was against me. She hated me. Okay, I say. I guess that makes sense. He looks up at me, surprised. Really? You believe me? I nod. He looks so hopeful, but it's not like I have any reason not to believe him. And to be totally honest, I don't really care if he's good at language arts. Grades don't really translate to friendship. He sighs in relief. That's good. I didn't want you to think badly of me, because it's really not my fault. But anyway, that's why I'm getting tutored this summer. If I don't pass a test in a couple of weeks, I'll have to repeat sixth grade. I try to hide my surprise, because that's a pretty big deal. And here's what I don't say. From what I've seen, he slacks off a lot during his tutoring sessions. It almost seems like he's trying not to learn anything. It's really none of my business. For some reason, though, he cares about my approval. I'm sure you'll pass, I say. He nods. Yeah, me too. It'll be fine. There's an awkward silence, and then he says, Why are you really doing this? I mean, I'm as excited as the next kid to build a fake tiger trap, but there must be a reason. I shrug, avoiding his eyes. We should get back to work. Seriously, though, I hesitate, trying to think of a decent lie. I've been keeping so many secrets, and secrets are exhausting. The truth is, I want to tell the truth. My Halmoni is sick, I tell him. When he looks confused, I clarify. My grandma, he blows air from his lips. I'm so sorry, that's awful. She's afraid of tigers, so I wanted to make her feel better. It's not quite the truth, but it's close enough. My shoulders loosen and my lungs fill with relief. It's nice to talk to somebody. That must be scary, he says, even if it's just in her head. I swallow up the words, you have no idea, and I nod. It is. That's really cool of you to do, he says. You're the coolest girl I've ever been friends with. Oh, I didn't know he considered us friends, but it's kind of nice to hear. It feels like maybe he could be a real friend, one who sticks. So, he stands brushing off his pants. Do you have any raw meat? Wait, what? According to the internet, the most important part of the tiger trap is the bait. Most tiger hunters used raw meat like beef or, well, it's hypothetical, so we won't do that, I say. He nods, right, yeah, that makes sense. Let's just finish the trap. 
He leans over, picks up the top hat, and hands it back to me. Let's do this. I smile as we get back to work. We pay more attention now, taking each box step by step, careful and slow, leaving only the heaviest ones and the big Korean chests upstairs. Once we've got enough boxes downstairs, we start arranging them in a ring, stacking the lighter boxes on the heavier ones. It's like a giant puzzle, and even though it's important, even though this really, really, really matters, it's also fun. Once we're done, we wrap the rope around the boxes, though we're not really sure quite what to do. I tie five knots just to be safe. Finally, we step back to admire our handiwork. Nicely done, Tiger Trap Master, I say. Ricky's smile fills his whole face. Likewise, Super Tiger Girl, I'm not a superhero, I say automatically. Except Super Tiger Girl doesn't sound cooler than Invisible Girl. Does sound cooler than Invisible Girl. And it feels kind of nice to be super. Before he leaves, I lift his top hat off my head and hand it to him. I'm pretty sure I have hat hair with some strands sweat stuck to my forehead and others standing straight up. Don't forget this, I say. He shrugs. Keep it for now, just in case you find a hypothetical tiger. I'll get it back when we hang out again. Hang out? To do what? I'm not sure what he thinks comes next, but this is pretty much it. The trap is finished. He stares at me like it's obvious. We're friends now. Friends hang out. I blink. Oh. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I start to smile because I really would like to hang out again. Somehow we made trapping a tiger fun. I say goodbye to Ricky and as soon as he's gone, I take the star jars up to the attic room and hide them under my bed. Sam's in the shower, thankfully, so she doesn't bother me, and I lie on my stomach on the floor, staring at the jars. They seem like regular jars, almost, but even under the bed, they seem to glow. Raw meat won't work because magical tigers play by different rules, but looking at these jars, I realize I found my bait. Chapter 20 What are you doing? The floorboards creak behind me and I turn to see Sam in her pajamas. Nothing, I say, jumping to my feet. I'm full of jittery energy. Beneath the bed, the star jars wait. But I glance at the clock. It's only evening. I still have hours before everyone's asleep, before I can sneak a jar downstairs and bake the tiger. Sam narrows her eyes. She takes a breath, like there's something she wants to ask, but then she shakes her head. It's not like Sam to hold her questions in, and I don't know if I'm grateful or sad. When she opens her mouth, again, she seems to change her mind, asking a different question instead. What's the deal with that boy? He's helping me do something. I can't help but smile a little when I add, He's my friend. 
She raises an eyebrow and her lips lift into that I know something you don't smirk. Your friend? My cheek gets hot when I realize what she means. It's not like that. Her voice is teasing. Not like what? Not like how you're acting. Sam laughs. Apparently, my embarrassment puts her in a good mood. Then her eyes soften a little, and she points to the floor in front of the mirror. Sit down. If you have a crush, you should learn how to do your hair. I'm fine the way I am, I say, and it's not a crush. I don't know how to deal with Sam. One minute she hates me, the next she wants to have a sister moment. More importantly, I don't have time for hair. I have an actual life-saving mission to go on. But she keeps pointing, refusing to take no for an answer, and I guess I have to wait a few hours anyway. When I give up and sit in front of the mirror, Sam kneels behind me. She unravels my braids, twisting the strands, weaving them together in a new way. As she works, my jitteriness fades, replaced by this quieter, deeper wanting. I want to tell her about the tiger and the star jars and the trap, but I'm afraid her teeth will go sharp and she'll call me crazy, so I hold my breath until the wanting goes away. After a few minutes, Sam asks, When did you meet Jensen? It's a random question and not really what I want to talk about, but it's way better than talking about Ricky. At the library when we first got here, I tell her, she's really nice. She gave me a cupcake and the library doesn't look like a haunted gingerbread house anymore. I clamp my lips shut. Too much. The gingerbread thing was a weird comment. I change the subject. Do you remember her from elementary school? Sam shrugs tugging on my hair just a little. I mean, yeah, the school was pretty small, but she was a year older, so I didn't think she noticed me at all. She pauses, then adds, not that I'm saying she noticed me, just yeah. Yeah, I say, feeling awkward without really knowing why. I feel like she wants me to say something, but I have no idea what. Sam finishes my braids, pulling bobby pins from her own hair and sticking them against my skull until she leans back, looking at me in the mirror. Instead of two braids framing my face, my hair is twisted into a braided crown with wispy strands hanging around my ears. With my new hair and Almoni's pendant around my neck, I look like a princess. Or more, a warrior princess. I'm not used to seeing myself like this. I don't look like the girl in the tiger story anymore, I whisper more to myself than to Sam. Sam hasn't looked like the girl in that story for years, ever since she cut her hair to her shoulders and got that white streak. But I've always worn my braids. I've always been little eggy. Sam groans, enough with the tiger story, Lily. That story is the worst. I don't understand what she's saying. We love the sister story. We ran into Halmoni's room every night. Tell us a story about the sun and the moon. What do you mean? 
Well, first of all, Sam starts, the sisters are stupid. A tiger is scratching at their door. It's clearly not their harmony. Why can't they see that? Because he's dressed up in, and also, the older sister goes on and on about protecting the younger sister, and then she goes and opens the window for the tiger. I lean back. The older sister doesn't open the window. The younger sister opens the door. Sam shakes her head. No, that's not right. It is. That's how the story goes. In the story, the tiger picks the little sister. She's the one it calls to. She's the one who answers. She's the special one. I'm not sure why Sam is so confused. I tell her, Eggie opens the door. The tiger chases them. And when they tell a story, the sky god saves them. No, something in Sam's voice scares me. A sharp edge that wasn't there before. The sisters end up on opposite ends of the sky and they can't even talk to one another. They see each other every day, but only to wave hello and goodbye. They're alone. I pull my knees into my chest. It's not sad, it's happy. The sisters escape the tiger. They're safe forever. But now I'm not so sure. The whole point is that it's a sad story, Lily. All those old fairy tales are meant to scare kids. It's a lesson. You know, don't open the door for strangers and run from danger. Silence swells in the room, filling every crack in the creaky wood. I clear my throat and force words out. What if the sisters didn't run? Sam sighs. What do you mean? If it were your story, if a tiger was chasing you, would you run or would you face it? She hesitates. You're not talking about the stories being real again, are you? Because, no, no, I say quickly. That was a mental stress reaction. I know. I mean it hypothetically. Silence until Sam barks a laugh. It's so startling that it frightens a laugh out of me too. For a second, my anxiety eases and her laugh is a bright spot in the darkness. Lily, are you kidding me? I would run. Tigers, you know, eat people. Yeah, I say. She's right. That's the reality of what I'm facing and I can't tell her about it. Sam gets up and flops back onto the bed, and I assume this talk is over. Sam doesn't end conversations anymore. She just escapes them. But a few minutes later, she says, If it were me in the story, I don't know. I don't know if I'd run. I'd want to do the brave thing. It's just, in that scenario, I'm not really sure what the brave thing is.